Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 46. We got to Friday night of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament before I said, why do I do this? Why do I bet on these games? Why do I put a bracket together? That's actually pretty good. I made it at least to day two. We'll break that down. Tough Marquette loss against Michigan State and Tom Izzo in round two on Sunday. We'll talk a little bit about the Badgers, too. They move on in the NIT. They're on to the quarterfinals coming up tomorrow night. Badgers keep playing. Marquette goes home. And UW-Milwaukee still playing, too, in the CBI. We will talk plenty of March Madness. Bucks get a big win last night against Toronto. The Sixers are creeping up on them now as the two-seed in the Eastern Conference as we are down to about three weeks of the regular season left in the NBA. And there's still no trade. We talked on Friday that we finally had some resolution in the Aaron Rodgers saga in Green Bay. Still no trade, though, between the Jets and Packers as we are now five days removed from the McAfee interview on Wednesday. And we'll sprinkle in a little birthday party anecdote my wife's birthday over this past weekend let's go on the ground a chance here Durham to Hardy to first in time the Brewers win here comes Melvin to the 25 to the 20 Gordon 15 10 5 touchdown Wisconsin record breaking run Morgan a smash up the middle Snap. He looks, he throws, it's dead. And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, backed away, it's stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle ball throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there. We've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, my wife Lindsay had a birthday on Sunday, the greatest day of all days, as she says it, and I now say it too. March 19th, not under threat, not under threat. I say it because it's true. But I put together a birthday party for her, which we had on Saturday night. And a lot of planning went into it. Months of emails and Facebook messages. I was able to get some high school friends in town, some college friends in town, some grad school friends in town, co-workers from where she's at now, family on both sides. And we had a really good time. And she deserves it for putting up with me. She deserves more than that for putting up with me. But it was a really, really nice time. She had a good time. She was in on it. We called it a not-surprise, surprise birthday. My wife has been on record for many, many years of telling me she does not like surprises. And it's not one of those things where somebody says something to you, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that, but then you can kind of tell they really do like it. No, when she says she does not like surprises, she does not like surprises. If it would have been a surprise party, I may have ended up on the Sheboygan Scanner Facebook page as some anonymous guy getting chased down the street. But it was not a surprise party. And even the cake said, shout out Costco, by the way. I mean, Costco cakes. How do you go wrong with that? A 48 serves 48 people, half a chocolate cake, sheet cake, and you get it for 25 bucks. You can't beat it. You simply cannot beat that deal. And then we had a bunch of cake left over, which was beautiful yesterday to cure the hangover. Just sit down with a half a sheet of Costco cake in my sweatpants watching college basketball. Does it get better than that? Just get a fork just going right in there. 
But you cannot beat that deal. Those went away a little bit during the pandemic because nobody was having any parties or get-togethers. Now they're back, and they are awesome. That's the first one I've had since they came back following the pandemic. But the top of it said, happy, not surprise, surprise birthday. She was in the loop, I told her, a couple of weeks beforehand. But it was a phenomenal time. We did have a little catering snafu, which we knew was a possibility. I'm not going to air out anybody or any business on this podcast. But there is a restaurant that Linz and I go to often. I would say... Almost every week or every other week on Sunday night. That's where we go on Sunday night. And because of that, we've gotten to know the owner who also works in the kitchen and is a bartender. Typical. If you own a restaurant, somebody who's very involved in the day-to-day of this place. And he's a great guy. But we call him, I'm not going to use his real name, but we call him Best Worst. We'll say his name is Todd. Best Worst Todd. That's what we call him. That's what his nickname is. And now after this catering situation where I had his personal phone number, he's in my phone as Best Worst Todd. And by that, we mean we like him a lot. He's a great guy, and we love shooting the breeze with him when he's walking around or bartending, but he's also not the most observant bartender where he would go and talk with you and get to know you, and we'd have a laugh, but your drink could be sitting empty for 20 minutes, and he would never refill it. It's one of those things, you know? He's just the best worst. He's the best and the worst, but we love him. But that's the place I decided to get catering from because I know she loves it, and we love this place. But because I was working directly with Todd, not Todd, but Todd, Todd Gack, we'll call him, we'll use a Seinfeld, Bob Sacamano, because I was using him as the catering guy and he was the person I was going through, I had this feeling in my gut that there's a chance that we're going to show up on Saturday and pick up the food. You had the option to pick up or deliver. I'm lucky I chose pickup ultimately because had it been delivery, we never would have, I don't think we ever would have seen the food. We never would have seen Best Words Todd dropping the food off. Because we talked about that when I gave him the numbers of people who were having what I was ordering, and he said, I could deliver it. I said, how much is that? And he said, I don't know, 10 or 20 bucks. I thought, oh, okay, maybe. And then I just thought, you know what? We'll swing by and pick it up on the way to the place because we're not that far from that restaurant. It's not far from the place that I rented the private party room at. But we sh- we show up, and Lynn's because she's been in the loop now, we were joking about when we rolled into the parking lot, what is the percentage chance here that this was totally forgotten about or something's going to go wrong with this or we'll get the wrong order? And just because of him and we know him, there felt like at least a 10 to 15% chance that this was going to be messed up. I get into the restaurant. I walk up to the pickup order counter area, and I tell the girl working there, I have a catering pickup order. Oh, okay, what's your last name? Hensler. She goes to the computer, types in H-E-N-S-E, enter, and I can see the computer from where I am. Nobody shows up. No name, no order. She's looking, tries to type it in a different way, looking again. She comes back. (laughs) She said, well, would it be under a different name? No. (laughs) No, it wouldn't be under a different name. Well, what's the last four digits of your phone number? I give her the last four digits of my phone number. Maybe it was put in by phone number. I see her type that in. Nothing shows up. I look back at Lindsay, who's with me, and I think... Oh, God. We have no backup plan for food. I should have had a backup plan knowing Todd. But I have no backup plan for food. So I asked the girl, is Todd back there? Is he in the kitchen? She said, yeah. I said, can we just go get him? And then their lead bartender came out, who we also know because we're there so often. And she had in her hands a little receipt with scribbled notes on it. And she said, is this your catering order? Ten pizzas, ten whatever, and cheese breads and salad. I said, yeah, yeah, it is. And she looks at me and says, it's going to be about 30 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever she said, 30 minutes. And I'd love to buy you guys a few drinks while you wait. So I guarantee I got off the phone with him. He scribbled it down. And the last thing he said to me on the phone call was, I'm going to put this order in and we'll be ready for you at 530 on March 18th. 
And even when he said that, I knew there was a chance it wasn't going to work out. So it basically went as I expected. He wrote it down on the little paper, scribbled it down, never thought of it again, never filled out the formal form. And I guarantee you when she went back there and brought it up, he said, oh, bleep. <laughs> and said, all right, buy him a drink. Tell him 20 minutes. Buy him a drink. But eventually we got the food. We weren't that late, 10 to 15 minutes late. It was a great time. And we were out late. We were out till 2 in the morning, 2.30, 2.15, something like that. On the ride home, we looked at each other, Lindsay and I, and we both kind of thought, God, tomorrow's going to be rough. And we, and when you get older, it's not just tomorrow. This is going to hit us for a few days, and sure enough, it has. But happy birthday to her. We had a great weekend, and I had some time off on Thursday and Friday to watch the games and lose a bunch of teasers and parlays. Saw a buddy I hadn't seen in a long time. A lot of fun group texts with the boys during the games and the upsets and letting them know what bets I had. It was not. It was a, it was a good piece of downtime, and we had a fun time at the party on Saturday night. But happy birthday to her. With that, we can talk about March Madness. It was a typical March Madness four-day weekend where you had all the upsets. The biggest one was Fairleigh Dickinson, which I told you before. When did I lie? When did we drop the podcast last week, Thursday? It was after the play-in games. And just based on what I saw in the play-in game and what I've seen from Purdue and having bet on Purdue this year and lost every time I bet on them to cover during the course of the regular season, I said, I think they can give Purdue a game. I had Purdue out in the second round. I had them losing to Memphis. Memphis and Florida Atlantic had a very entertaining game. Was it Friday night? I think it was Friday night. That was back and forth with FAU winning at the buzzer. But I had them losing in the second round anyway. Just because of what I've seen from them this year, they've got the big man Edie in the middle. But beyond that, there are not a lot of good complimentary parts there. And he, even though he's 7'4", he obviously has an impact in the game. How can you not when you're that tall in college? But he just doesn't take over a game the way I think of some of the great centers in college basketball taking over a game. That was the biggest upset of the first round. And there were plenty of upsets. But the 16 over the 1, second time it's happened. But that's what I expected when I thought in the past of a 16 beating a 1, which seemed impossible when I was a kid. But now there's more parity. There's more talent out there. It's getting, it happened in whatever it was, 2018, but you see way more now, 13, 14, 15 seeds, Princeton, demolish my bracket, catastrophe for your boys' bracket. This is a catastrophe. My day was done on Thursday. I didn't even make it through the full first day with Princeton upsetting Arizona. Arizona was my champion. But you see a lot more of those long-range seeds and heavy underdogs winning outright in the tournament in the last five, six, seven years. But that's how I envisioned it. I did not envision a 16 over a 1 the way UMBC did it with Virginia in 2018 where they blew their doors off and just dominated the game. They looked like the 1 seed. Virginia looked like the 16 seed in that game. When you think to all of the close 16-1 games that we've had over the years where you thought you might see that kind of an upset – you never envisioned that 16 seed winning the way UMBC did by 20, where for the last 10 minutes of the game, you knew it was over. What we saw with Fairleigh Dickinson and Purdue, that's how you envision it, where it's tight, late. Purdue, the number one seed, misses a big shot. Fairleigh Dickinson drills that three, a guy that shoots 25% from beyond the arc, drills a huge three at the top of the key. You get one of those miraculous shots. That's how we all kind of thought it was going to happen. So in that way, I know it wasn't the first, but it kind of felt like the first in a weird way. That's 16 over a one. But UMBC has company now as the second ever 16 over one upset. So many good close games. It was unfortunate seeing Arizona go down, and they had that game. Double-digit lead, then just couldn't score for seven or eight minutes. This time of year does emphasize to me that even though I love the tournament and I do love watching college basketball, College basketball, and maybe a part of this is how good the Bucks have been, and now I'm watching, and I always watched all the Bucks games, but now that the Bucks are an elite team and a championship team, and I'm watching every minute of every game when I can, 
and you see the high level that NBA teams play at and the amount of shots that go down, when you watch college basketball then for four days in a row, nonstop, 12 hours a day, I understand some people are going to say they like college hoops more because it's more entertaining, but the entertainment is the mistakes they make. That's why it's entertaining. You watch these games, some of the passes they throw into triple coverage, bounce passes directly to the opponent, not being able to hold on to the ball, the amount of bricks and shots that just aren't even close. That's what makes it entertaining. If you turn on an NBA game, and I did this on Friday, the Bucks lost to the Pacers on Friday, ugly game. But at the end of day two of the tournament, I was watching whatever game, and then I flipped on the Bucks pacers game. It's jarring. You turn on an NBA game, and everybody's making every shot. It seems like they don't miss. Everybody's operating at a high level. So while I understand some people are always going to say, oh, I love the college game more than the NBA, it can't be because the skill on the court is better. It's just it's more entertaining. Maybe it's more entertaining to watch people playing for the university, and there's not as much money involved or whatever the reason is. But the reason college basketball and March Madness is so entertaining is because they make so many mistakes, and that leads to violent swings and momentum during the course of a game. But if you watch a full day of college hoops, then turn on an NBA game, within five minutes you realize, oh, the NBA is way better than college basketball. It just doesn't have that tournament component to it and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, you turn on an NBA game for an hour after you watch 13 straight hours of college hoops. Oh, this is how basketball is supposed to be played. Players are passing it directly to their teammates, and turnovers are rare, and missed shots are ultimately rare. But it was a fun, fun weekend. It did end on a bad note for Marquette. They got the win against Vermont. They broke up the drought. The decade-long, not winning an NCAA tournament game drought. That was tight early, but they won that one going away over Vermont on Friday. That was good to see. The one thing when you put your bracket together, though, when you looked at the potential second-round matchup, I actually had USC upsetting Michigan State, and I was texting my buddies as Michigan State was winning that game by whatever it was, 15 or 16 points. I thought, what kind of idiot bets against Izzo in March? I, me, I am that idiot. Izzo is March. I am the darkness. I am March. That should be Tom Izzo's quote. That should be his epitaph. I am March. Because he just gets that team to play this time of year. Getting into the Sweet 16, getting into the Elite Eight and the Final Four like it was a bodily function. But you, once that matchup was cemented on Friday, you immediately thought, oh boy, you got to deal with Izzo and Michigan State. And the beginning of that game yesterday, we're recording this on Monday, so Sunday, the first five or six minutes of that game, it looked like Marquette wasn't even going to be in it because Michigan State was just operating at a high level. They weren't turning the ball over. They were knocking down their threes. And sometimes college basketball games, not always, but sometimes they can be determined in those first four or five minutes. If a team knocks down a few threes early, that lets everybody calm down. You get that pressure valve release. You get in a rhythm. And on the flip side, like Marquette in the first four or five minutes, if you miss those first three or four shots or first three or four threes, everything becomes tougher. The screws tighten every possession down, and that's how you can sometimes fall behind by 10, 15, 20 points really quickly, and it ends up being a disaster of a game. Marquette did finally get locked in toward the end of the first half, and then they look like they might get control in the second half, but the turnovers. I have a, a co-worker of mine when I call games in Milwaukee, longtime high school coach in Wisconsin, longtime college coach at the D2, D3 level in Wisconsin, George. Love George. He's, he's got to be just short of 80 years old. Anytime that there is a turnover-type game, he always uses the line, they're going to open a bakery. There's so many turnovers. So many turnovers, they're opening a bakery out there. 
That's what happened to Marquette because they had that 42 to 39 or 42 to 38 lead with 13 or 14 minutes left. And it seemed like they were getting in control. Their defense was playing pretty good. They were finally starting to knock down some threes. Omax Prosper was knocking down threes to begin the second half. It felt like momentum was shifting in their favor. And then at that juncture, they must have had six straight or five straight or five of six or six of seven possessions that all ended in turnovers. They end up with 16 turnovers. You just can't have that. You can't shoot sub 40% and turn the ball over almost 20 times and expect to win a tournament game, especially against Michigan State and especially against Tom Izzo. That was their biggest Achilles heel. No pun intended, but intended. Or is that not the Spartans? Troy? Something something going on there. My medieval history isn't the best. But that was their Achilles heel on Sunday. They just turned the ball over way too much. And Tyler Kolick, I feel bad for him. He had such a phenomenal year. He was the Big East player of the year. He was dishing out assists and had low turnovers. Every game I watched of Marquette this year, it felt like he was completely in control of the game. And then on Sunday, for whatever reason, it just wasn't there. And he was not great against Vermont either. Mainly that was foul trouble on Friday, and they were able to navigate their way through that. He had some early foul trouble on Sunday too, but when he was out there, just some very uncolic-like decisions where he would throw it, like we just talked about, where he'd throw it trying to get it to a Marquette player with three Michigan State players around him in transition, just really high degree of difficulty passes, which he probably can make. But in that moment, some of the gambles that he was taking just didn't make sense to me, and that is coming from a degenerate gambler. It just There were passes where he thought, what are we doing? And then they had the freshman, I forget his name, number five. He was in there. He was horrible for a two- or three-minute stretch where I think he turned the ball over three times in a row on his own, just not catching the ball, traveling, moving the pivot foot, simple stuff. But that rut allowed Michigan to get back in front. It was tied or close to tied late. Prosper hit that free throw with about five minutes left to get them to within one. Then Michigan State hit three shots in a row. And in college basketball, if you are hitting three or four shots in a row, it's almost a certainty you're going to go on an 8-2 to two or 10-0 run or something like that. And that's what they did. They ended up getting up to a 7 or 8 point lead, couple minutes left, and time just evaporated on Marquette. It's a disappointing end. I would say... Marquette fans, based on the way the regular season went, where you win the Big East regular season championship, then you win the Big East tournament, you get the two seed come tournament time. When you're having that kind of a year, and I think back to not just Marquette teams in my history, but primarily Wisconsin teams because they've been in the tournament, it feels like, almost every year with the exception of this year and, what, 2018, the last Ethan Happ year. When you have that kind of steam and you're almost a 30-win team and you're a two or a three seed or, in Wisco's case, a one seed a couple of years there, you feel like, Sweet 16 has to be the minimum. That has to be the goal. Understanding that the tournament's a crapshoot and matchups are sometimes tough, and if you have a cold game shooting or you have turnovers, that can upend you. That has to feel a little short of where they want it to be. But overall, for the program and their trajectory, this is year two under Shaka Smart, back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances. They got their doors blown off by North Carolina last year, but that was en route to a championship game appearance for the Tar Heels. They come back this year, win the regular season championship, win the Big East tournament, get the two-seed, break up the NCAA tournament winless streak after a decade. And even though the bar it felt like was Sweet 16, that that would have been the cherry on top of a successful year. Obviously, you want them to go as far as they can. Final Four, win a title. A lot of people had that. They had them in the Final Four. A lot of big-time analysts had them in the Final Four with the way they were playing at the end of the year. But it just feels like Sweet 16 has to be the goal, and then hopefully things fall your way after that. They fall just short of that. But in year two of Shaka Smart, with the guys he's brought in, and they've got everybody back. Now, look, the transfer portal adds a different element to college basketball and college football. 
it seems like the players are happy. They get along. There's a good rhythm and a good chemistry. I doubt they're going to see any major players leave, but that is a possibility with the not having to sit out a year now. The transfer portal is always something you have to keep your eye on. But they don't have, to me, a ton of NBA prospects on that team. Maybe some, but I don't see a whole lot of that. Maybe deep second-round picks, if anything. Because of that and because of how young they are, Kolick's technically a sophomore this year. I'm pretty sure Prosper is, too. They've got a lot of young talent. They should all be back next year. And if they are, they will be top 10 for sure, preseason top 25, and whatever. That doesn't mean a ton sometimes, but it gets you excited. They are for sure going to be top 10 preseason. They may be top five preseason, top 25, with the talent they have coming back, coming off of the year they had. Certainly, you would have liked to see them win on Sunday, get to the Sweet 16, make it a little further in the tournament. But in two years under Shaka, with where the program was when Wojo left, you have to feel really good if you're a Marquette alum or Marquette fan about the direction the program is heading in. Now, Wisconsin got a win on Sunday. They shot really ugly. They made, what, one three seven percent from beyond the arc? But they get their second NIT win over Liberty, 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 75 to 71. That gets them onto the quarterfinal round of the NIT. Crowell's been playing well. Chucky had a big game on Sunday. This is what I mean when we go back to the discussion about should they accept the NIT bid. Some of the bigger schools, North Carolina, Michigan, that also had down years, they did not take that bid to the NIT. Some Badger fans were upset the Badgers did not go to their or did not turn down the NIT, thinking the optics of it make it look like a step backward for the program. But with a team that also is going to have just about everybody come back, I still believe Tyler Wall is coming back. He'd have to be a grad student, I'm pretty sure, or maybe he has a COVID year yet. As we've talked about, I just don't see him as an NBA guy, and he probably could have a decent career internationally, but you can start that whenever. And with NIL, you can make some money while you're in school. It's not one of those situations now with NIL where if I don't go international – and he can make six figures a year or maybe even a little less than that or a little more than that on the international scene. If he, he can do that for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Brian Butch did that for a long time. Sam Decker's doing it right now. He can probably do that. But back before NIL, the likelihood was he would have to do that this coming year to sign with somebody and start his international career. But now with NIL, he can make some money or get some money under the table or whatever they want to do. And he can make some money while he's still in school coming back and then start his international career a year later. But they're going to have almost everybody back, too. I know, I saw no harm in them playing more games, playing 40 more minutes, and learning to win in March as a team, regardless of what the tournament is. So they're two for two, and they will be at Oregon, 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 Oregon Trail, Oregon otherwise. That's about the only time I say Oregon, 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 Oregon. taking on Oregon. Oregon Trail, though. But they will be in Oregon on Tuesday at that weird court the Ducks have. It's very hard to look at on TV with all the tree silhouettes on there. But they'll be taking on the Ducks Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. Winner of that moves on to the semifinal round of the NIT. But this is not a bad thing. Having this team win, the crowd seemed pretty revved up. Cheap tickets at the Kohl Center, maybe that's the solution. They've been searching for solutions to give more energy at the Kohl Center. Maybe the solution is $20 tickets or $25 tickets for the lower bowl. You get a lot more energetic people then that are a part of the crowd in that level. It seemed like really good energy at the Kohl Center on Sunday. 
But they'll be at Oregon on Tuesday, 8 o'clock tip time for the quarterfinal round of the NIT. I believe the Ducks are technically a one seed. Badgers are a two seed in that matchup. Should be a fun game. And shout out, by the way, to the women's hockey team for the Badgers. Seven national championships. You kidding me? Hashtag dynasty. They upset Ohio State one nothing in the national championship matchup on Sunday. Seven titles for Mark Johnson, who was a part of the Miracle on Ice. Scored two goals in the Miracle on Ice 1980 upset of the Soviet Union, USSR, Russia, whatever they were called then. He scored two of the four goals in that 4-3 win, and he's got a dynasty brewing for women's hockey in Madison. That's a lot of fun, too, on Sunday. All right, the Badgers, or not the Badgers. We just talked about the Badgers, John. The Bucks get a win against the Raptors. 118-111 last night. Triple-double from Giannis on 9 of 9 shooting. Brooke Lopez, another monster game. And they were down 6 going into the fourth quarter, and Brooke had 16 fourth-quarter points. Is there a chance? We've been talking all year about how Drew Holiday is now the number two on this team behind Giannis. He's Giannis's wingman, and Middleton with the injuries probably slips to three this year after it had been Middleton and Giannis for so long. Are we maybe missing Brooke as the number two? Is Brooke the number two guy? He didn't play in the matchup with the Pacers on Friday. Pacers shot the lights out on Friday in the second half. Bucks had a handy lead there where they were up by 10 or 11 points at halftime on Friday. And then the Pacers shot 33 of 47. 33 of 47, 70% for the entire half. A lot of that was perimeter. A lot of that was beyond the arc. How much Brooke would have impacted that, I don't know. But Brooke was not on the floor on Friday, and they had a defensive collapse in the second half. That can't be totally unconnected, right? But he was big again, 25 points. He's been rebounding the ball more. We all know the influence he has on the defense and the block shots and the potential defensive player of the year candidacy. Is he the number two? Is Brooke the number two at 34 years old? He's certainly going to earn himself a contract. I don't know what his contract looks like. Let's Google it real quick. We know that there's the option for Middleton at the end of the year, a $40-plus million player option, which I don't think he'll pick up. He'll probably try to cash in one more time. But Brooke is toward the end of his deal as well. This is where Jimmy Haslam comes in. Jimmy Haslam has more money than anybody in the Bucks ownership. Maybe he is going to have to come in here and eat more tax. Yeah, this is the last year. He is an unrestricted free agent. At the end of this year. And with the way he's playing and how much he helps Giannis defensively, you better believe that they're going to have to give him another three or four year deal, even at 34 years old. But he was tremendous on Sunday. Big win for the Bucs because the second team now in the East, the Philadelphia 76ers, they've won nine games in a row. And we've been looking and talking about the Bucs and Celtics for so long. And the Sixers had not been on the scene and the Bucks have that one-to-one split with the season series with Boston with matchup number three looming on March 30th. Well, they do not have the season series advantage with the Sixers, who all of a sudden are knocking on the door. The Sixers are two and a half back, as are the Celtics. They are only two back in the loss column. There is one more matchup between the Bucks and Sixers, but I don't think the Bucks can win the season series or even tie the season series if they win that. It is at Fiserv. Yep, on Sunday, April 2nd. Let's see where the season series is at. Oh, no, they can tie it. The Bucks won. Oh, it was opening night. Bucks won in Philly on opening night by two points. Lost in Philly in November. As we know, lost at home. That broke up the win streak on March 4th. That is going to be a massive game then. You can potentially tie the four-game season series. But all of a sudden, Embiid and the Sixers are right there where they had been floundering in that 3-4 spot for a while. They win eight games in a row, and they've got Chicago at home tonight. You've got to assume that's probably going to be a win. That'll get them back to two games back. But that's a big win for the Bucs. You've got to take care of the games you're supposed to take care of. That was what was so frustrating about the Pacers game on Friday. 
It's a team that wasn't playing their best players, and even though the Bucks had Crowder out and Lopez out and Middleton out, was he out on Friday? Maybe Middleton was playing. Bucks were missing some of their guys too, but that's still a game at home that you should win after the two games they won on the West Coast on Monday and Tuesday last week. And with how tight things are getting between the Bucks and Sixers and Celtics, the home games against sub-500 teams you really want to get. That's what, what hurt so much on Friday with how bad they played in the second half. But they get the win against the Raptors at home on Sunday, and they are at home on Wednesday against a really bad Spurs team. Sixers have the Bulls tonight, and then they're in Chicago on Wednesday, and then they have a very difficult West Coast trip. Yeah, they're home against the Bulls tonight, then they're in Chicago Wednesday. Then they have at Golden State, at Phoenix, and at Denver. That's going to be a tough three-game swing on the West Coast. where They'll have to lose a couple, right, or at least one of those games, hopefully. Uh, the Bucks up now until the Spurs are at Pfizer Forum on Wednesday. And then finally today, the standoff has continued. We had on Thursday's podcast, we talked all about Aaron Rodgers. He was on the McAfee Show on Wednesday. As I said on that podcast last week, we finally had some resolution. But we also said there is still the small matter of actually conducting this trade. You actually have to do the trade now, do the thing. The intentions were declared. We know the Packers are moving on to love. We know Rodgers now said, I want to play, and I want to play in New York. He said he's not holding up the actual trade or the compensation talks. He seemed to hint that the Packers were the problem. We had the whole conversation about leverage. Who has the most leverage in this? But we're still sitting here five days now after the interview with McAfee. By the way, McAfee and Packers Twitter went to war over the weekend. McAfee, generally speaking, has been a very likable radio presence, podcast presence, social media presence since he defected from Barstool. He's a big part of the WWE universe, of course. People really like him for the most part, which, speaking from someone who works in media, if you can get 70 or 80% of the people to be in your corner, that's a miracle. I hope for 51%. That would be great. It's just, it's tough when you talk and your personality is out there for a living. It is very hard to get that many people to be with you, to have your back, where the majority like you. Well, McAfee, after that interview on Wednesday with Rodgers, he felt a little heat from some Packer reporters on Twitter and some Packer fans on Twitter. And then he had Ian Rappaport on later in the week, and he kind of called Brian Gutekunst a dummy. He wasn't, not in so many words, but in so many words, that really got Packer Twitter fired up and Packer beat reporters fired up. And then he was blocking everybody left and right. It was weird. It was a weird weekend for McAfee. He had a rare bad weekend, a rare loss for McAfee, who has been on a winning streak for three years, it feels like. But we did the interview on Wednesday, or he did the interview on Wednesday with Rodgers, and since then, not a whole lot's been going on. And again, you have that conversation of who is in the better position right now. I still think it's the Packers. There's a chance, and I talked about this with some family and friends at Lindsay's party on Saturday, there is a chance the Packers could try to wait until June 1st. Maybe we had that in the podcast, too. If they deal him before June 1st, the dead cap hit is going to be around $40 million. We all know that number. That's been out there for a long time. If they trade Rodgers after June 1st, the dead cap hit is $15 million. Pretty big difference between 40 and 15. And then you can save the team about $16 million and spread it out over the course of the next couple of years, which gives you so much more flexibility in the years to come. That's maybe another piece of leverage being on the Packers side because as we discussed the Packers know who their quarterback is going to be they know they are going to go with Jordan Love 
We'll find out during the year, at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year, whether or not that was a good decision. There's a lot of ambiguity there and a lot of unknown with that right now. But they know that's their guy. Love is the guy. So the Packers have their quarterback, and they have Rodgers under contract, and they have this June 1st date where they can save a lot of money on the dead cap. There are a lot of things that would say to you, why would Green Bay be in a rush to do this? What what advantage is there for the Packers to rush into a trade to get this done and get this moving on when there's a little bit to be gained if you can keep waiting? And the closer you get to June 1st, as we said on the podcast on Thursday, there's a long time between now March 20th when we record this and June 1st. That's a lot of time. And obviously, if you trade him after June 1st, you don't get to capitalize on draft picks this year, which I'm sure they would prefer to do. But then you have to weigh future draft picks next year and the cap savings. Is that worth it to not have the picks this year? You know what I mean? There are a lot of reasons why the Packers do not have to hit the turbo button here. There are a lot more reasons why the Jets have to hit the turbo button because there are no other quarterbacks out there except for Lamar Jackson, but I just don't see them making the move for Lamar. I've seen Jets fans on Twitter (laughs) threatening Packers fans with that. When Packers fans say, what are you going to do? Are you going to go with Zach Wilson with this loaded defense and you feel like you have some offensive weapons now and you can contend? You're going to have Zach Wilson run that? And the comeback is, well, we could get Lamar Jackson. We could make the move for Lamar Jackson. I don't think anybody believes that's going to happen. Rodgers has said he wants to play in New York. All the rumors and the momentum are there for the Jets fan base. They are the ones right now who feel like they need to probably get things done a little quicker than the Packers do. But it's a standoff. we got a good old-fashioned standoff between Joe Douglas and Brian Gutekunst right now about compensation for Aaron Rodgers. But I expected this would get done pretty quickly after the Rodgers interview and him saying exactly what he's going to do and what he wants to do this upcoming year. But it has not changed a whole lot of the conversation as of yet. We'll see if something happens this week. We'll come back on Friday. I have to work a full week this week. What is this? It's bogus, man. In In the words of David Putty, this is bogus. I've had short weeks now for three or four weeks in a row. It'll work the full week. We'll be back on Friday. Maybe we'll know more about Aaron Rodgers and the trade, hopefully potentially getting done at some point this week. We will be getting back into some March Madness conversation. We'll repeat or go over what the Bucks did this week and where they stand heading into the upcoming weekend. And next week, everybody, next week Thursday, opening day. We'll be talking some Brewer baseball on Friday and some futures bets as well. We'll chat with you then. Have a good work week. 